Hey there, welcome to the show. Happy Sunday. You know, I don't know, is everybody enjoying this spring weather that we've been facing for the last little while? I gotta tell you, when I, when I feel the weather, I keep thinking to myself, are we gonna see more for sale signs coming up? And a lot of that is going to start happening as we go into a spring market. So I will, uh, I, I'm gonna talk about that today, but I also wanna talk about something that seems to be kind of hovering in the wings right now. We talk about you know, commercial and industrial real estate. And a lot of headlines in the news right now saying that it seems like some of the office buildings are running some pretty serious vacancies. So I, I do want to talk about that. And the best way for me to discuss that with you is to bring in my experts that, uh, you know, join me here on the show. I will be having Mike Chesahoski join me. Mike's the vice chairman of CBRE, the land services group. And one of his partners there, Lauren White, uh, Executive Vice President, she's going to be joining us as well here in the studio in a little while. We're going to talk about what is going on with things such as, you know, some of the green space that's being developed. I know it's a hot topic, uh, you know, government uh, taking a little bit of heat. Are they doing the right thing? You know, and I'm going to get a little bit of a description on green space because this is one of those things that we got to drill it down. Is it truly green space? Like, are we... Are we taking animals out of their habitat? Are we creating problems with some of the floodplains? Or was this stuff designated a few years ago and they designated green space and now they're undesignating it? And so I do want to talk about that today and, and a lot more. What about, uh, what about office vacancy? You know, are people really going back to work uh, or are, you know, companies kind of downsizing the idea that uh, there's going to be some sublets? in some of these major buildings and how do you go about that who's still responsible for it so again my guests are going to uh, join me we're going to have a great conversation about that part of real estate and you know it's kind of hard sometimes because we we as consumers always just think real estate real estate real estate you think homes condos you know townhomes things like that but there is an, an another entity out there that you know takes up a huge amount of space and speaking of space you know land development where is it going you know, when we hear things such as these 15 minute neighborhoods, does that mean we're just going to start seeing all these neighborhoods pop up in these little pods? So does that mean they're going to be eating up some more of the land or are they going to try to, you know, wedge it into existing municipalities? I don't know. I don't know how you could do, you know, some of these kind of sectioned off little 15 minute neighborhoods where, you know, everything's going to be condensed. And the only way I think it's going to be a solution to that is, of course, everybody's going to be building up and not in our backyard or it's going to come flying out again and everybody's going to get a little bit concerned you know the density right now that the city of toronto is trying to put on any of the major lines you know when we talk about the subways you know a lot of buildings people are trying to get built up there you know keep the density you know kind of like really really tight like basically if you can put it on a subway line you're going to build up and that way you know more people can use public transit but you know when we sit here and and, and think about you know, not just the GTA, we think about Ontario, we think about Canada, there's a lot of space out there. And so, you know, condensing it the way they do want to do it, is it the best thing? And where and how are we going to build all these properties? So, you know, part of my usual uh, weekly rant here is the fact that, you know, identifying some of the problems that keep, you know, getting exposed. So, so let's talk about the fact that you know, we've got the government really pushing forward, telling us that they're going to do all the right things to be able to give us more properties. Because again, we have new immigration. We've got, you know, 500,000 people coming into the, into the country. And, 
you know, the majority of those we know land in the GTA because why wouldn't they? So, you know, you throw in, you know, 250, 300,000 more people per year here in the GTA, where are they going to live? And, you know, even though I talk about inventory all the time, this one's getting, this one's getting a little bit scary. I got to tell you, you know, as landlords, you know, a lot of people are sitting there saying, yeah, but if you're a landlord, you're making more rent. Well, if the tenant's been there for a long time, you can't just out of nowhere up the rent. You know, that's not how, how the rules work. So how are we going to get all these properties built? You know, and this is, this is the big, really big conundrum that we have. So despite the fact that we finally have the government on side with us saying, Hey, you know what? We're going to get rid of some of the red tape. And I know some of the municipalities are fighting back with the provincial government saying, Hey, we're not going to drop development charges. We need the funds. You know, we got to throw in infrastructure. You know, you do need to be able to like sewers, water, you know, schools, everything. I get it. I get it all. But the problem that lies right now is time, you know, you can sit there until we're blue in the face saying, okay, even if you go, even if you wiped out all development charges to get from start to finish, it's going to be five years. Now with the red tape, it makes it 10, but even five years from now. And you know, it's interesting because when you get the talking heads in parliament, they start saying, oh, we're going to build you 1.5 million homes over the next 10 years. I got news for you. You're not going to be building anything for the first five years. So now you're going to turn around and you're going to build, you know, 1.5 million homes in the last five years, because it takes that long just to get the engine revved up. And so this again, continues to be one of the biggest, you know, points that we need to take a look at and say, how do we solve the problem? And, you know, the answer isn't just going to be, you know, new builds, uh, there is existing product. So. You know, part of the spin here that I talk about when we, when we take a look at real estate is what about doing renovations or conversions and conversions, you know, I talk about, you know, taking a look at some of these office buildings that, you know, are running some vacancy. What if we pulled some of those back and made them into, you know, a residential platform? Well, a lot of people don't necessarily like the idea because again, they're changing the tax structure. They change a lot about it, but you know, if you've got an existing shell, it's a heck of a lot easier to do the interior renovation than it is to start fresh and new. So will we have to work on some of the sewers and water? Yep, definitely. But is it easier for us to renovate than it is to build new? 100%. So what if the government was to turn around and actually go into their vaults, take a look at what product they have kicking around and why not do some conversions to some of the government property? It's going to reduce the cost. It's going to make it a little bit easier for everybody. And then if we talk to some of these major, you know, landlords out there that are running some vacancies, because look at, to be honest, there's some, there's some companies out there that they're going to get squeezed. You know, they're stuck into these leases. They're trying to be good tenants, but you know, it's hurting their cash flow, and, and some of them just don't need the space that they took on. So what if you could give it back and turn it into residential? It's probably a very easy solution. But again, there's going to be those people that are going to be saying, yeah, Todd, but it's going to cost money to do all that. Yes, it does. But it costs a lot more to start bringing in cranes and start swinging from the sky and start bringing in, you know, everything from a foundation up. If it's existing, it makes it a heck of a lot easier. So is that a solution? Is that going to help the, all of our problems? Not really. You know, our problems are a lot larger than we can even imagine right now. So we need the traits to do it. And one of the things that, 
you know, I try to get everybody involved and, and have an understanding is the fact that our trades are aging, you know, just as the rest of our population. And in the future, you know, we're going to be missing some trades. So how about, you know, starting more trade schools? How about encouraging it? How about putting together a government program to encourage more trades into the industry? How about just, you know what, if you want to become an electrician, it doesn't cost you anything uh, as far as when we're taking a look at the big numbers. So these are the kind of things that we have to focus on for the future. You know, real estate is one of those things. It's that hot topic. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and his comment to me was this. He said, you know, if we take a look at the majority of Canadians net worth is in real estate, that's concerning. And I said to him, I said, why, why does it, why does that concern you so much? And he said, well, you know, if we don't nail the interest rates, right, everybody's going to collapse. And I said, okay, well, it's a fair assessment. But what about the fact that everybody needs a roof over their head? Because the truth is, regardless of, let's say, values or interest rates, the truth is everybody needs a roof over their head. And as our population continues to grow, it's only going to become, you know, harder and harder for everybody to get a roof over their head. So is the solution, and when we talk about these, these you know, 15-minute cities, everybody's talking about going up. Everybody's talking about, you know, skyscrapers. But the fact is, is that if you have a family of five, you know, they got a dog and a cat, how are they going to live in a one or two bedroom? You know, we don't build the tall stuff for families. We build the tall stuff for single individual people or couples. So when we talk about, you know, what the builders are doing, you know, how about we take a look at some bigger square footages? What if we were to turn around and start building three and four bedrooms? You know, I don't know how many have actually ex been, you know, experienced some of the older condominiums, you know, I can think about like Palace Pier, for example, when it's right down there by the lake, by the river. And, you know, it's amazing because some of the square footages of some of these units, you know, they're 2,000, 2,500, I mean, 3,000 square feet, you know, and yes, the price is up there, but it, these older buildings always went larger on their suites. You know, it's funny because now everybody seems to be wanting to make these micro units, you know, 400 square feet, 500 square feet. You know, for some people, they think 500 is actually like a good size one bedroom. Um, I, I can tell you that some of these older places, the master bedrooms that size. So is there a solution out there? I don't know. Maybe, you know, some of you can follow me on Instagram, the simple investor one and throw some suggestions to me, you know, and I'll, I'm happy to air them here on the show, but I think that the solution is going to be more from a private industry. You know, we got to get the builders to build the right product. We got to get the builders to build more product. We do have to get some of the powers to be to get out of everybody's way. And then right now, you know, we know that the builders are kind of freezing up. Interest rates aren't helping. So some of the builders have actually canceled their projects. So instead of us moving forward, we're going to move backwards this year in inventory. So I think that's concerning and I think everybody should be well aware of where we sit in the world of real estate. Look, we know that eventually interest rates are going to come down. We know eventually the market will start to go move forward. So how do we get there? How do we wait it out? Well, you know what? Patience is one of them. And for now, you know, I think everybody's got to focus on what the real meaning of real estate is. You know, most importantly, it's a roof over everyone's head. If it's a tenant or if it's yourself, your family, that is one of the most important things that you can have in life. So as I mentioned, you know, my guest going to be joining me uh, right after the break. Um, I've got Mike Chesahosky joining me. He is the a vice chairman of CBRE Land Services Group, as well as his partner is going to be joining us, Lauren White, and she's the executive vice president there. 
So it's going to be a great discussion. So you don't want to go too far. Um, and, and by the way, like I said, follow me on Instagram. And if you're kind of wondering what to do with your RSPs this year, go to the simpleinvestor.com. We've got a solution for you. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, I figured it's time to kick the can regarding, you know, commercial industrial real estate, as I try to do every once in a while. Uh, returning guest joining me. He's no stranger to the show and has been with me for years, but he's also brought a special guest with him. So I've got Mike Chesowski from uh, CBRE Land Service Group, and he's also now the vice chairman. And with him, we've got Lauren White, executive vice president as well. And uh, Mike, welcome back to the show. And Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, Mike, maybe uh, just for our listeners' sake, because you haven't been on in a little while. We haven't seen each other in quite a while. You're here in the new studio with me. But um, how about you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and the company, and then, Lauren, I'm going to have you do the same thing. Sure. Sure. Uh, CBRE is the world's largest commercial real estate company. We're publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, 105,000 employees in 70 countries. Uh, I'll let Lauren speak a little bit about our group, but we work out of the Toronto North office uh, and we do real estate mostly in the GTA, but also for certain clients across the country. Right. So Lauren, tell me about yourself because, uh, you know, you've got a, you've got a little incredible title and I think you've earned it and you're, there's not very people, many people that have your title. Yes. So I've been with the company uh, 17 years now. I'm just about 40 years old. I've been with Mike since I started at CBRE. We have a team of 11, nine of which are women. And really we focus on selling development sites across the country. Wow. And, you know, when, when you talk about, um, you know, different clients, I know that, you know, today, you know, real estate's changed. Mike, I'll go backwards for a second. You know, you and I've been talking, we talked right through the, the crazy times, multiple offers, you know, low interest rates. Um, how about you just kind of give us an overview of what we're looking at today, because Last time you and I talked really in, in length, interest rates were starting to creep up, but boy, they've changed a lot over the last six to 12 months. And, and we're looking at a completely different landscape now. It's certainly very different. Um, we anticipate a bit of a choppy market this year. Uh, I think we'll see some difficulties for certain people between the spring and the fall with the adjusting to the new regime of interest rates. We're over double borrowing costs. That being said, there's still a lot of confidence. 75, 80% of our institutional and private clients are still pens up in buying development sites. They know and they feel this is short term, that this is a blip, and that by the end of this year, beginning of next, we should be back to normal. There's still a tremendous pent up demand for residential and commercial. Uh, vacancy rates for industrial are still at an all time low. We're still sitting with very low inventory levels for both high rise and low rise. So the confidence is still there. People need a place to live and a place to work. Yeah. So Lauren, one of the things, um, obviously if you're in land development, um, you know, so I always put on my contractor hat. So we look at developers, they're thinking about, you know, more residential residential's been, and, and, and Mike and I've talked in length about this, but residential has been really tough. We just don't have enough inventory, not enough shovels in the ground, not enough, you know, uh, properties being built. Is there still this interest? Like, are, are we seeing the broader area continue to grow? I mean, you know, we kind of started to burst at the seams. Mississauga, I don't think it has much, you know, room to grow. I know, I know, you know, Brampton's been on top of each other. You know, of course we look at the East, you take a look at, 
you know, Ajax, you know, Pickering, you know, uh, Whippy, Oshawa, all of those, they all seem to be growing. Are, can we keep growing? Is there still people looking on the outer edges? Yes, I think absolutely. I think we're definitely seeing it, especially in Durham, um, with the new highways that have gone out there. We see a lot of growth there. We see lands up in Seton, uh, Oshawa, north end of Oshawa, a lot of development happening. And with developers, we see where they have holes in their pipeline where they need to be filled. And that's really more a timing as I think to as opposed to location. They need to fill these pockets and whether it's two years out, three years out, five years out, they need to look in these broader areas to try and fill those gaps. Right. So when when we talk about that, you know, there's there's a couple of different ways of looking at real estate. One is residential, of course. That's the one that you know most people focus on. But when you talk about industrial and commercial, so industrial, for example, industrial seemed to really, you know, take a huge surge over the last few years where warehousing, logistics, things like that. Are we seeing developers still thinking that same thought? You know, do we need more industrial space? I think so. We're seeing it in terms of where land values have gone on the industrial side. And again, across the GTA and in Durham. We've seen values hit record levels in Durham on the employment side that we haven't seen before. And I think that's going to continue. There's very little supply on the industrial land side as well, especially for large contiguous spaces. It's limited. So I think that will continue. So, Mike, I'm going to spin the narrative. You and I had a lot of these discussions, obviously, during the pandemic, people you know, would leave the workspace. Um, have we seen any kind of recovery in commercial real estate in the downtown core? You know, vacancy rate still seems like it's a little bit high. This is what we hear. So is there is there like, are we seeing more people come back to work or is the work at home mindset still being drilled into everybody? It's it's busier. I, I think the occupancy is that much higher. I think it's gotten better since the holidays. Um, I can tell you, our personal, when we go to, we go to the office every day or team, and we still go to in-person meetings on a regular basis. I've seen a difference in the last two, three weeks of people coming back to the office. So I think that's progressing slowly, but coming back, we'll get back to hundred percent, maybe over time, but certainly there's a hybrid that maybe is three or four days in the office and then a day or two at home. So, you know, when you, when you were going through the pandemic, I know you weren't at the office. Okay. Um, not nearly as much because you guys basically were doing the, you know, zoom meetings and, and everything else, which is, which is typical of most businesses. Um, I find it interesting because it seems from an employment standpoint, it seems like everybody wants that hybrid program, the idea of going back five days a week. So is this going to create I guess, a smaller office environment. So in other words, if you don't have full staffing, does it mean that we don't have to have full size offices? You know, for example, here, here at the, the simple investor, you know, we've got the nice big office and we're ready to fill it up with brand new employees. Right. But you know, if you can accommodate smaller office space, does it make sense? I think it's very company specific, right? You know, I, it's not even you know, what the, the, you know, whether it's commercial real estate banking, I think, or accounting, every company is looking at it in terms of their employees and what they want to do. And we've seen that a lot with the clients that we've spoken to. Um, some are yes, back. They want everyone back five days a week. Everyone's like, no, we're going to sublet, sublet our office space. We don't need it. Everyone's going to work from home. So I think every company is looking at it specifically for their needs. I, I really think the efficiencies of being in the office far away being at home 
and training, onboarding people, the culture? Uh, do they have to work every day at the office and they want to work Fridays or a day at home if something's going on? I think that's fine. But I do think companies, the government, everyone's going to realize that being in the office far outweighs overall being at home. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So Lauren, one of the things obviously, um, and I'm not sure if you're experiencing it, is there a lot of subletting going on right now? Yeah, I think we're seeing that a lot of companies, there's a, a lot of office space that's being built downtown right now that's going to come on the market. And I think what's happening is these companies that have taken, you know, 100,000 square feet, 200,000 square feet, and realize that they are going to run a model where it's only part-time in the office, they're going to see a lot of that space come onto the market for sublease. Right. And, and when they do that, um, and just for, you know, edification for our listeners sake, you know, a sublet, obviously they still stay on as the tenant, but they are leasing out a certain amount of the space. So it's not like they can walk away hands-free, can they? Exactly. Yes. So say they have 200,000 square feet and they only want to use a hundred thousand of that, they would sublease the other hundred thousand, whether it's from one tenant, multiple tenants, and that they would sublease from the original tenant. But technically, they're still on the hook for the 200,000 square feet, correct? Exactly. Correct. Yeah, I just want to make sure our, our, our listeners understand how this whole thing They don't get to walk away. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> some people may think, hey, listen, I got I got somebody to take care of. I don't have to worry about it anymore, you know? And and because, because not all conditions are going to match up. You know, somebody could come in, they could have a 20-year lease, but somebody comes in and says, I only want to do it for five, for example, and they sublet it for five years. And, and not only that, depending what lease agreement they've signed, whether or not they are even allowed to sublease. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's an interesting fact. So, um, you know what, folks, we're going to have more uh, when we come back. And, you know, one of the most important things that I try to convey here at the show is that real estate's not just residential. <laughs> There's a lot more to it. So when we come back, we'll have more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guests right now, Mike Chesahoski, he is the vice chairman at CBRE Land Services uh, Group. And I've got Lauren White, executive vice president as well from CBRE. And just before the break, we were just chatting about obviously vacancy and we talk about, you know, a lot of the commercial stuff that's going on. Um, last year, uh, it seems like the, 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 the province had an epiphany, decided that, you know, we got to cut down some of this red tape, you know. Mike, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about this. Lauren, one of the big things obviously is that, you know, the length of time to, to, to development was getting longer and longer and longer. Have you seen any positive effects so far in the industry? Are we, are we seeing, you know, developers being able to come, come to you and say, yeah, it's actually working? Uh, I think it's a little early to say at this point. I think everyone's still trying to work out the kinks on how this is all going to work. Um, in terms of timing for development, the, the approval process, how much is going to come through the province with their uh, MZOs or the e EMZOs that they want to put through, what's still going to be through the municipality um, in certain areas. Is there servicing and capacity for these lands? How is it going to get there? Um, do they have two, three years that they have to be in the ground? And what does that mean? So I think a lot is still unknown at this point, and we're still waiting to see how the chips fall on how this is all going to work. 
you know, um, when we talk about development charges, you know, you take a look at the units, the individual units in Toronto went up into 130,000 a door for your typical condominium. And, you know, that's a staggering number when a lot of people keep talking about affordability. So I know the premier had wanted to make this suggestion to the local municipality to saying, Hey, look, you know what, let's turn around and start work, working towards credits, not, not these numbers. Um, you know, Mike, I'll go to you on this. I know a few mayors dug in their heels and said, you know, back off, get out of our pockets. Uh, but, you know, everybody, if we're going to solve this housing shortage that you and I have talked about for years, you know, everybody's got to pitch in here. Do they not? Yes. Now, remember, we don't work with one. Okay. That was, wow, that was. Uh, a... <laughs> um, you and I have discussed this at length. I think you asked me once if I was given full control of the planning process, development, trades, how long till I fix this? Uh -huh. 20 years. Right. Because it takes five years to build a high rise building from start to finish, if not a little bit longer with development approvals. This doesn't get fixed easily or quickly, but we have to make the moves today. And you're exactly right, Todd. Putting $130,000 on top of an affordable unit doesn't make it that much more affordable. We need to start doing something dramatic and quickly. You know, development charges have funded growth and other services at the municipality for years to avoid increasing property taxes. We're not all paying our fair share. Yeah. And you know, Mike, one of the things, you know, when, if you analyze the numbers and you take a look and, and, and I'm glad you brought up the actual timing to build something, because, you know, it, even if we get rid of all the red tape, you know, right now you can push a development for 10 years, get rid of the red tape, it's five, but five years is still five years. And, you know, with the commitments that we were getting from the government, you know, Laura, one of the, it was amazing. All of a sudden out of nowhere, they're miraculously going to build 150,000 units. And they always use that 10 year measurement, right? They say, we're going to build 1.5 million more properties or homes in the next 10 years. Well, we got zero for the first five. So boy, they're going to have to build a lot at that last five, which is absolutely impossible. And, you know, I guess my, my, my question for, for yourself would be dealing with the developers the way you do. I mean, you know, they've got measurables and tangibles. Do they all still have that mindset 10 years out before we can really get this thing finished? Uh, I don't think that's their goal. I think they would love to see these um, these lands be developed a lot quicker. I think it comes back to, again, dealing with municipalities in terms of trades too. It's It's do we have the manpower to get these developments underway, to get these houses built, to get these condos built? And if we look at, you know, the city of Toronto or the GTA and the track record on how many homes have been built in a year, and when it's, you know, usually in the 25,000 range or less than that, it's how is it possible that we are going to be get, we are going to get these homes built with only so many trades and so many groups that can do these. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, with 500,000 immigrants coming in each year, if we make them all tradespeople, that would help, but that's not, that's not realistic. That's but, my idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I had it first, Mike, <laughs> but you, you and I did talk about this in the past and, and, and it's interesting because, you know, right now, when you take a look at the number of people that are going to come in and they're not backing off on that, um, you know, our vacancy rate, uh, is historically low. You know, when we talk about residential, it is, it is 
brutally low and people are getting upset that, you know, rents keep going higher and higher, but they really don't have any other place to go. It's, you know, at this time. So Mike, you know, you and I talked about this before, and I just want to reiterate it is we're going to be running out of the tradespeople very soon because we also have this aging demographic. Tremendous. So you only have to go onto a construction site or renovate your house to realize our trades are pushing retirement. A lot of them should be retired and have prolonged it because there's so much work. We need to encourage our young people to become trades or to set immigration standards that encourage the trades to come. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because when you say encourage the young people, you know, one of the things that I, I, I threw out to Mr. Ford and of course, for some reason, he just doesn't want to come on the show, but um, I did say that, you know what, why not give, you know, free education for the trades? Like if you're going to create a system, why not turn around and offer, you know, the education and, and, and put it out to the tradesmen? It's not even that, it's starting it earlier on too in their, sure. in their high school. In the high schools, yeah. And having that more as a direction for them to go to. And, you know, we've talked about this before, Mike, that we've seen these trade schools close because they just don't have the population to fill them. So if you can't even get them there in high school, they're already looking in other directions. Then how do you even get them going forward? To even before, when, when I was in elementary school, a hundred years ago, your grade eight teacher decided whether you went to a trade high school or an academic high school, depending on your skills. If you went to a trade high school, by the time you finished high school, you had, you were a plumber or you're electrician and you had your high school diploma and you went out working as a trade. I don't think the young people understand today how lucrative those trades are and how much money and what kind of career you can have. And if you have some business savvy also, you can form your own company and have your own shop. So it's tremendous effects. I was with lunch with a large single family home developer. And he told me what a piece carpenter made. I said, I don't know what a piece carpenter is. He goes, piece carpenter is I pay you by what you do, not by the hour. So as a young person, you can work as much as you want. The more you make, the more you do, the more you make. Right. Todd, what, what's a piece of carpenter make? Probably around a hundred thousand a year. Two fifty. Two fifty. <laughs> wow. You don't want to work for me. Um, <laughs> holy folks. So I, I think we have to show our young people and get to people that are in very early stages of their educational career and realize what the opportunities are in trades. At one time we used to follow our father. If your father was a plumber, you became a plumber or electrician or whatever. Today, I think we need to have not only the new immigrants, but our young people realize that there's great opportunities in the trades. Yeah. And. So Lauren, when, when we take a look at development, as you said, you know, definitely not 10 years, nobody wants 10 years, but realistically, I think that we've just become accustomed to it because of all the delays that we get. Yes, absolutely. We see it across the board, whether it's on the high rise or low rise. And, you know, you, for us, we sell a project, we sell a site for a high rise development. And when you see it not being built seven to 10 years later, it's, it's crazy on that timeline, but to get it through all the approvals. And, you know, we talk about these lands being brought out of the green belt and we think that's gonna be immediate development, but we don't think about everything that still needs to go through that process. And, 
you know, getting not only your your draft plan, your site plan, but all the all the red tape that we talk about that's still required for development. Yeah. So we're going to go to a quick break, but I want you to uh, keep that thought in mind about the green belt because I do want to talk to you about that when we come back. So folks, stay with us. We'll be right back. And by the way, if you're not following me on Instagram, the Simple Investor One, and you can catch some of our new videos that we've been doing. Uh, my producer uh, Aiden's been really hard at it, and you got to check them out. So we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So uh, just so you know, we've been having a great conversation. My guests in the studio right now. Uh, is Vice Chairman of CBRE Land Services Group, Mike Jaskowski, and I've got Lauren White, Executive Vice President of CBRE as well. And, you know, um, just before the break, Lauren, I asked you to just kind of keep that thought in mind for a second because you you hit a hot topic um, that a lot of people are talking about, obviously, uh, is the conservation lands um, that, uh, you know, some are uh, up for development, some are looking at it. And, you know, a lot of the, the commonality or what some of the, the, the thought, I guess, is because, you know, we need proximity to the city. And can you can you elaborate a little on on what's going on right now? Sure. So back in the fall in November, it was uh, brought to attention that 7,400 acres were going to be brought out of the Greenbelt across the GTA. Uh, so Hamilton, Durham, uh, Vaughan, Aurora different municipalities were going to have certain blocks uh, where they brought out uh, land from the Greenbelt. And then in December, early December, uh, it was passed. Um, so owners of these lands are currently working with their respective municipality to bring these lands forward for development. Um, with that, they will have to submit uh, a minister's zoning order uh, what we call an MZO or an enhanced MZO, which is actually going to not just do a zoning order, but an enhanced one. So it would take it even further along the entitlement process, whether it be draft plan approval, site plan approval. And the intention of this is to get lands into production to build all these homes that we need for our limited supply. Right. And and so um, is this the housing minister, Stephen Clark? Does he Is he the one that has this authority to do this? Yes, I... It's the province. It's the province? It's the province. It's, it's you know, Todd, when they put the green belt in, in our opinion, my opinion, <laughs> some of the line, lands, the, the lines for it were drawn haphazard. Let's say, you know, they were drawn from aerials from what we understand. And, you know, the original intention of the green belt was to protect sensitive areas. And that should never be a straight line. But it was. Right. So I think when you look at the potential for the lands that were released that are abutting existing developments, such as the ones in Pickering, West Pickering, you drive from the lands that were released and in two minutes you're at the new Amazon warehouse in Scarborough. So these lands were intended for future development at one time and were put into the green belt through someone's decision we don't see that as a bad decision. We see that as a necessary one to improve the supply of housing that we desperately need. And these lands abut existing development in Scarborough. Right. You know, it's interesting though, because, you know, I think from a lot of um, our, our listeners' perspective, you know, as soon as they hear, you know, green belt, green space, you know, they immediately think, parkland deers you know all the animals kind of roaming around like like they they really have this 
and forgive me for saying kumbaya effect because they, they they see the lands not quite the way you just described it. For example, you know, it may be an area, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, below water table or anything else. It just happens to be an area. And yeah, you've got like multiple factory warehouses around them. Um, I really think that someone needs to educate the public a little bit more. Lands that are sensitive, lands below on a floodplain, lands that have woodlots or, or wildlife or water on them will continue to be protected. Those, those lands, you know, there'll be setback provisions set to new development and they will continue to be protected. Lands that are a farmer's field and are currently being plowed twice a year are going to be future development lands. So releasing the lands doesn't mean sensitive areas are going to be plowed under. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw kind of a hot topic in the news lately because we talk about uh, 15 minute um, neighborhoods, cities. Um, and, and again, this is just more from a, you know, a talking point. Lauren, you know, when, when, when people think about that, um, we got to like encapsulate everything in kind of one location, almost like you got to have employment, you got to have entertainment, you know, you're gonna have to have a hockey arena, you're gonna have to have this, um, looking at the overall GTA, as you see it, wouldn't it be kind of difficult to start wedging like certain of the, you know, pockets like that? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think maybe in certain pockets I can see it working. Um, you know, I live in the city and I'm able to walk to a lot of places conveniently on the weekends. But I think there's a lot of municipalities and a lot of towns where that's not going to be feasible. Uh, we talked, you know, earlier that, you know, we also live in a climate where we have four seasons and that's always difficult when you get into the winter seasons. People don't want to be doing that. Um, and I think there's certain municipalities where it's just not going to be geographically um, feasible to do that in terms of fitting everything you need within 15 minutes in terms of what land's available to do that, you know, vacant land, um, if there is even any. So I think it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. You know, Mike, when, when, when I've seen some of these, you know, and again, there's art, artist renderings, you know, and, and, you know, I, I understand what they're trying to do, but you know, when you think about it, you know, if, if, and, and, and I'll use, I'll use the analogy from, let's say a hockey parent, you know, kids nowadays are driven all over the GTA to different rinks, right? It, it, I, I just can't see how they can condense everything into one location. Cause that's really what they're doing with the idea of this is, is to stop traffic and have everything within that 15 minutes. Nice on a piece of paper. It won't work. <laughs> They had a very many words. Yeah, but you know what, but, but, but here's the thing, you know, there, there's, there's other countries that are trying to, to develop this. When we take a look at Canada and, and this is just kind of an overview from the two of you, because you do work in land development, you know, when you think about it, the mass, I mean, you know, Lauren, when you take a look at, you know, in, when, when I did residential real estate, you know, I had, I had an area which I called my farm area, right? So that, that was like 5,000, 10,000 homes. Your farm area is like hundreds and hundreds of miles. Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. And every different location requires different needs. And I think across the GTA, you're gonna you're gonna have someone that works in Toronto and is commuting, you know, commuting north, right? And you know, to try and squish that into a 15 minute radius, I just don't think it's gonna work. Yeah, I, I think you only have to try to live with three kids, two dogs, a cat, 
and your parents in a <laughs> condo to realize it won't work. So unfortunately, not everybody lives by themselves or just with one other person. Reality has to set in. Sometimes we need room. We have a lot of new immigrant families and people that have been here that live multi-generation in a home because that's what they want to do. So we need room. So not everybody can live in a condo. It's great if you work downtown and live downtown, but all of us don't. So I think a variety of housing types is what's worked for the last 50 years and it's going to continue to work. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, and as I mentioned, you know, we do have surrounding areas that can still be developed, um, and planned. I think, I think if we can focus on one important thing would be transit. And, you know, right now, obviously a lot of thought of those infill sites, Mike, you and I talked about this, Lauren, I, I'm pretty sure you, you got your eye on the ball of the GTA where a lot of people are trying to do the infill sites close to transit. Yes. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of plans where that's exactly where the municipality wants it. And they're, they're relook, they're, you know, relooking at their secondary plans and saying, yes, along these corridors is where we should not only have development, but we should have that higher density development. And that's what makes sense. You want people traveling on transit, not just one way, both ways. So you want to have that, that mixed use, that residential, that office, that retail, so that that transit is being fully utilized. Yeah. That, that being said, we went to a meeting on behalf of the landowner. I won't tell you the landowner is in the city of Toronto with planning. Our site was on top of a subway on two major roads. And we had an argument with the city that that was an intensification site. We said, if it's not here, where should it be? Out in a field somewhere? Mm -hmm. We're sitting on a subway. We need to justify the construction of these subways. We need to intensify them. I think we need our politicians to realize they need to expedite that type of development now, not tomorrow, not next week, now. And at that, I want to, uh, I want to thank the two of you for coming in today because again, um, you know, it's, it's been a real pleasure having you come back into the studio, Mike and Lauren, great to have you in for the first time. Um, and, uh, thanks to the two of you for coming in. So I just want to thank my guests joining me this hour, Mike Chesahosky, Vice Chairman from CBRE Land Services Group, and his partner, Lauren White, Executive Vice President from CBRE as well. And uh, great discussion. Great to have them here in the studio. You know, one of the things that we love doing now is having our guests join us in studio. It just feels so much better than just, you know, kind of doing it by Zoom. Um, so a lot going on this week, as you could tell, and uh, looking forward to, you know, another great week in real estate. Um, I do want to thank my uh, my producers here in-house at The Simple Company. I do want to thank Omar and Aiden. You know, they're really pushing forward with our production here. I do want to thank Ian Grant, you know, for the head studio. And uh, other than that, I do want to thank you for tuning in. And uh, I look forward to, you know, chatting again next Sunday, as usual, at noon. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.